As we begin our, our new topic, our new series, it's on the book of Revelation. I've titled it The Alpha and Omega because, well, it's, it's all about Jesus. It's about the beginning and the end. And this is kind of a good time to do this because um, for a couple of reasons. One reason is it kind of seems like we're in end times right now. I mean, it kind of seems apocalyptic times that we're living in. Uh, with the pandemic that's going on and the upheaval in our, our society. Uh, there's just a lot going on that seems to point to um, things that might happen in the near future. The other thing is that uh, shortly uh, before this, we had studied through the book of Genesis, the beginning of God's word, the opening pages of God's word. And then we went through the seven sayings of Christ on the cross, what our Savior did for us on Calvary. And now we're looking at the end of the Bible, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. And there's a, a few things that strike me about the book of Revelation. One thing is that um, it is the completion of what Genesis began. Just a few months ago, we were looking at the book of Genesis. In Genesis, we are told about the creation of the heaven and the earth. In the book of Revelation, we see a new creation of the new heavens and the new earth. In Genesis, we are told about Satan, who successfully tempts man to sin and disrupts God's plan. In the book of Revelation, we learn about Satan being bound and cast into the abyss, that Christ triumphs over the devil. In Genesis, we read of the origin of sin, why there is death and suffering and sickness in our world in which we live where it came from. In Revelation, at the end of Revelation, God wipes away every tear and God has victory over death and over sin and over suffering. No more of those things in the book of Revelation. God has victory over those things. In Genesis, we read about man's cities, about Babylon, about the Tower of Babel, about Nimrod, the mighty hunter who builds a mighty city. That's what we learn in Genesis. In Revelation, we learn about the city of God, the new Jerusalem descending from heaven, not made by human hands, but made by God himself, eternal. In Genesis, we read about paradise in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. And in Revelation, we read about paradise on earth as the holy city descends and God dwells with man forever on the earth. It's just the, the, the perfect bookend, Genesis and Revelation. And the other thing that uh, we learn about Revelation is that it is Christocentric, that it's all about Jesus, that he is the Alpha and Omega, that he is the first and the last. It's all about his coming, his return. And that's what we are looking for. That is our hope that we have in the future is the return of Christ. It's Christocentric. Even in that heavenly throne room, we'll get to that in a couple weeks, but in chapters 4 and 5, there's that beautiful scene of heaven where you have the glorious throne where God sits. You have the marvelous angelic being surrounding the throne. You have this celestial rainbow enveloping the throne. You have this sea of glass-like crystal at the feet of the throne. You have all these majestic sights and sounds and wonders to behold. And even with this, in this glorious scene, 
there is one who steals the show. There is one who enters the scene and every eye is riveted on him. There is one who sucks up all the oxygen in the room, so to speak. And there's a lot of oxygen going on. There's a lot of sensory overload going on in that heavenly scene. And yet there is one to whom every eye is drawn. And everything else kind of blurs into the peripheral of our vision. And that one is the Lamb. The Lamb that is slain before the foundations of the earth. It is Jesus. It is Christ our Savior. It is the Alpha and Omega. He is the center of the book of Revelation from beginning to the end. It's, it's very Christ-centered. So, so let's get down to our, to our text today. For the message today, I entitled it the, the Revelation of Jesus Christ. That is the title of the book, and that is the title it is taken from the first verse, the opening words of the book, the Revelation of Jesus Christ. And I think it's all about worship. The, the book of Revelation is not only Christ-centered, but it is also very doxological. It's about the glory of God. It's how we should bow in worship in the presence of the Holy One. And so we're going to talk a lot about worship throughout the book of Revelation. That is one of the key themes, and it certainly is a good way to start the book, remembering um, the importance of worship, of worshiping our Savior, of worshiping our triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So let's uh, begin with our text. The, 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 I'd like to, to break it down into to three different sections here. And, and the first one is about the divine revelation, because that's how it begins in the, in the first verse. In the first verse, it talks about the divine revelation. It goes like this, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show us his servants, things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John. So there's a few things I want to comment just about the title of the book. The title of the book is Revelation. And uh, just, I, I don't want to be too picky or anything like that. But, uh, but some people mistakenly call it the book of Revelations with a, an S, plural, on the end. But that's not the way it's described here. It's a singular revelation. And so if you call it Revelations, I won't mock you and ridicule you. Well, until after you're gone and then behind your back I might. No, I won't really do that. But um, I won't say anything. But, uh, but it is the book of Revelation. Some people call it the book of Revelation of John, or the Revelation of St. John, or the Revelation of John the Divine, or something like that. And it's certainly true, John is the author, and John mentions his name several times throughout the book of Revelation. But uh, that's not what it says in verse 1 here. In verse 1, it does not say the Revelation of John. It says the Revelation of Jesus Christ. So the title of the book is not Revelations. The title of the book is not the Revelation of John. The title of the book is the Revelation of of Jesus, the revelation of Jesus Christ. So just a, a few theological things to wrap up there. The, the, the very word revelation is the Greek word apocalypsis. We are, we are very familiar with the word apocalypse. To, to us, that has kind of evolved to mean like the end of the world. The apocalypse is the end of the world. That the world as we know it is gone, is destroyed, and we have reached the end of the world. It kind of feels apocalyptic like that now, doesn't it? Like the world that we once knew before COVID-19 is gone and things are different now. It feels kind of apocalyptic uh, in, the, in the world in which we live right now. That's the, the 
meaning that our word has. But that's not the original meaning. The original meaning is just revealing the revelation, something to be revealed, something to be unveiled. It's like an artist who covers up his artwork and then publicly pulls off the veil to expose his art, to reveal his art to the world. It's kind of like those uh, extreme makeover shows, like move that bus, you know, and the, the bus pulls out of the way, and you have the big reveal, of the revelation, you have the, the, the new remodel that everybody can see, and wow, it's awesome and spectacular and much better than the old one, and you have the big revelation, the big reveal. So that's what this is. It's the, the big reveal, the big unveiling. It's the unveiling, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which means that he is both the one who is revealed. We need to know more about Jesus. We need to see Jesus. We need to know who he is. And so here he is. He's demonstrated for us. He's revealed to us through the, the words of this book so that we might know more about him, so that we might see more about Jesus so that we might know who he is and what he's going to do. So he is revealed. So the revelation of Jesus is him being revealed. But it's also the revelation of Jesus in the sense that he is the one that is revealing. The information is coming from him. That's what it says in the text. Although the text has a, a threefold, and I think you'll find numbers in Revelation are very important. And, and three is an important number. And today... We have three points, but each point has three subpoints, and that's just kind of the way it, it's given to us in the scripture. And, and three is one of those important numbers in Revelation. Of course, the number seven is another big one in Revelation that appears the most in Revelation. You have seven uh, churches that we'll find here in the next chapter or two. Uh, the seven lampstands represent the seven churches. Later on, you have the seven angels. Later on, you have the seven. Um, scrolls that are sealed, the seven seals that are broken, then you have the, the seven trumpet judgments, the seven bowl judgments, the seven years of tribulation. All those things come into play in the book of Revelation. So seven is big, but we have a lot of threes also. And we have this threefold revelation. It starts with God, the Father. You see that in the text. That's the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show us. Now that is certainly in there. It starts with God, and then it, it goes to Jesus. God gives it to Jesus, him. So it goes from God to Jesus, and then there's another intermediator in there before it reaches us, too. And not just John. John's the one that writes it down. But even before it gets to John, we have an angel. He sent and signified it by his angel. Now, again, an angel is a, a very important part of Revelation. Revelation is full of angels from beginning to end. You've got angels, angels, angels everywhere. And uh, this is the first one that shows up right here at the very beginning. In, in the first few verses, we have an angel, and the angel is involved in Revelation. So you have this threefold reveal from God to Jesus to the angel and then to us through John. Uh, it goes to John, and John writes it down so that we can all have it in black and white, in written form, that we might have the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what we're talking about here, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, again, just as, a, as an introductory to the, the book and the interpretation of the book, there are different ways that people interpret Revelation, different ways that people see what this book means and how it applies to us. 
And so we'd like to take a, just a minute to examine the four different ways that people have of interpreting the book of Revelation. The first one is the preterist view. The preterist view simply says that John was writing, and some people even deny it was John. They don't think it was John, but regardless of who they think the author is, they think that he was writing about the, the signs of his time. He was writing about the conflict in which he lived. He was writing about the experiences that they had at that time. And through, through almost all of the book of Revelation, uh, all that was just a, a way of describing the, the Christians being persecuted by Rome, the Christians uh, dealing with the, the, the Jews and the Jews persecuting them and then Rome persecuting them. And that, that it's, very, it, it's all in very you know, symbolic form, but, but all those things were going on at, at his time that they were being experienced in the first century A.D., that you know the judgments being poured out, the trumpet judgments, the bold judgments, all those were, were being experienced by the Christians who were being persecuted at that time. That was going on at that time. They were dealing with the beast rising out of the sea, and the beast was Rome, and then was the Roman Empire that was persecuting them, and so forth. So they were dealing with all those things at that time. Until you get to the very end, and then the very end is the future coming of Christ, and, and, and Christ wins at the end. But everything up until then, everything up until the, the final victory, was what they were actually experiencing in the first century. It wasn't, was not looking toward the future. It was not looking toward the end times at all. It was what they were experiencing. It was applicable to them, and it was written to comfort the Christians who were being persecuted in the first century. That's the preterist view. That, that is not the way I see it. That is not my view, but that is uh, one way that people view Revelation. Then there's the historical view. The, the historical view is, yeah, John was writing, and he was, he was uh, writing about events that were going on at his time, but he was also looking into the future of, of the, the history of the church. And so, and so through all the history of the church, not just in the first century, but through all the history of the church, this was being fulfilled. And you kind of see that like when you get to uh, the Reformation. The Reformation, they saw themselves as being persecuted and they saw themselves as being in conflict with the beast. And they thought the beast was, you know, the Roman Catholic Church or something like that. And, and so they thought that they were fulfilling Revelation. Revelation was being fulfilled through the history of the church. And then ultimately it concludes with the, the future coming of Christ. So it, it's kind of like the preterist view, only it doesn't stop with the first century. It does have a future focus, but it is being fulfilled now through the church. So, that, so that's one view, the preterist, the historical view. Then you have the allegorical view. The allegorical view just kind of spiritualizes everything and says that uh, this does not even describe real events on the earth, whether it was in the first century or whether it was throughout church history or whether it's in the future. Uh, it doesn't even describe real events. It doesn't describe real events that took place in heaven, in heaven or on earth. Uh, these are just images that God gives us to, to, to teach us general principles. General principles that, yes, there is suffering, that uh, God will uh, win in the end, and uh, all these general principles like that. But they're, but they're not uh, actual events, whether in heaven or on earth. They, they don't actually literally happen. They're just symbolic. They're just allegorical. They spiritualize everything. Now, now some of these uh, views are, I, I kind of admire them for their simplicity because it, it, uh, it's a little bit easier 
Sometimes it's easier just to say, oh, it's preterist, it all happened in the past, so we don't have to worry about anything in the future. Yeah. Or we don't have to figure out what, uh, what it's saying about the future. It, it is a little bit easier and simpler to grasp. It's, it's easier and simpler to grasp if it's all allegorical. You know, you don't have to worry about what event is he talking about and what event is coming in the future. Oh, it's just an allegory. You don't have to worry about all that stuff. Uh, so, so you, you kind of, you know, in some ways, I, I kind of wish there was some truth in these in these theories because it would be a little bit easier. But, but I don't believe that's what God has given us here in the Book of Revelation. In the Book of Revelation, the way I interpret it, is the is the fourth category, and that is the futuristic category that that John is speaking prophetically. He is writing down uh, visions of, of prophecy that he sees of the future events. So God has given him visions of what will happen. And so we, we will get to the seven churches and the seven letters. That is definitely applicable to us today, to the churches today. That's written to the Church of Jesus Christ. The Church of Jesus Christ, which was started on the day of Pentecost and is still going strong today. And that is the, the church age, and so I think the letters to the churches apply to us, apply to our age, and, and we'll talk about that more in detail. But then after the seven churches, uh, everything else is future from us. Every, everything else has not happened yet. Every, everything else for, throughout the rest of the book of Revelation, from chapter 4 on throughout the book of Revelation, uh, is, is all prophetic about future events, real literal events that will happen but have not happened yet. That's the futuristic view, and that is the, the way I interpret Revelation. That's the way I see it. That's the way that makes sense. It's, it's kind of hard because you have, to, you have to put everything together, and you have to piece everything together, and you kind of have to figure out what's going on. Uh, but I think it's the, the best accurate uh, interpretation of our text, the accurate interpretation of the book of Revelation. So uh, either way, it all begins with these words. It all begins with the revelation of Jesus Christ. And like I said, there's different ways to interpret this revelation, and we'll talk about that more in detail. But it's Jesus Christ who is being revealed, and it is Jesus Christ who is doing the revealing. He's passing down the revelation about himself to us uh, through an angel and through John so that we might all know him more, so that we might all love him and look, for his, look forward to his appearing. That is the divine revelation. All right, secondly, we'd like to look at the divine blessing. This is one of the, uh, the few books in the Bible that actually has a specific uh, blessing in it. And we see that in verse 3. And, and, and listen carefully to these words, because uh, this kind of stands out to me as, I, as I've been studying this. But I never quite saw it in this way before. It says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it. Again, we have a threefold uh, blessing, just like we had a threefold uh, divine revelation, a revelation from God to Jesus to the angel. We had a threefold revelation, so we have a threefold blessing. Blessed is he who reads, blessed are those who hear, and blessed are those who keep those things which are written in it. So a threefold blessing. Note also the, uh, the difference in the singular and plural. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Blessed is he, singular, who reads, and blessed are those, plural, who hear. So it kind of draws a picture, it paints a picture of a worship service. It's a picture of one person standing up and reading, or sitting down and reading, 
and uh, a group of people hearing what is being read. That's the way things are done. That's the way we do it in church. Uh, we just had our, our Bible reading. I read, as singular, I read, and you heard. So blessed is the one who reads, and blessed are those, plural, who hear. And blessed are those, anybody who reads or hears, anybody who keeps those commands, keeps the things, who lives according to the principles, who lives in anticipation of the return of Christ, who longs for the appearing of Jesus. Uh, blessed are those who hear these things and believe them and live accordingly, who live their lives in a state of readiness and preparedness, looking for Christ to return. Blessed are they. So we have this threefold blessing. Blessed is he who reads, blessed are those and uh, blessed are those who keep the things that are written. There's also at the end of the book a, a repeated blessing, and there's also a curse at the end of the book. At the end of the book, in chapter 22, it says, I testify to everyone who hears, just like he said at the beginning, blessed are those who hear. Uh, this is for everyone who hears the words of prophecy in this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. So we have this warning, this curse. At the beginning, it's blessed is he who reads, those who hear, and those who keep. At the end, it's you better not add to God's word or take away from God's word, because if you do, you're in big trouble with God. You're going to have to answer to him. So you're, you're blessed if you read and hear and keep the words, but you're cursed if you try to add to the words or take away from God's word. If you try to change God's word or alter God's word in any way, uh, then you're in trouble. And so there, there are parts of Revelation that are kind of difficult to understand, but it, but it is not a, uh, a closed, sealed book. It's not a book that uh, God just throws out there just to confuse us. God wants us to read it. God wants us to study it. God blesses those who read it, and God blesses those who study it. We just have to be careful not to change God's word or alter God's word or take away from it or add to it. That is where the curse is. All right, so we have divine revelation. We have divine blessing. And then thirdly, we have a divine benediction. And uh, this is a great benediction. And uh, you can just tell it comes from, from the heart of John and he's, as he's writing this. He spent three years with, with his Savior. He describes himself in the, in the Gospel of John as the one whom Jesus loved. He, just, he knows Jesus. He loves Jesus. And, he, and he's uh, lived. He's outlived all the other apostles. And he's an old man now. He's seen the growth of the church. He's seen the, the gospel spread and churches grow and people get saved. And, and he just, he loves the gospel. He loves Jesus. He loves the Lord. And he's, he's lived it his, his entire life. And uh, this is a benediction from his heart. It's in uh, verses, it starts in verse four and five. And again, this is a threefold benediction. Just like we had a, a threefold divine revelation. We had a threefold divine blessing. Uh, we have a threefold divine benediction. This is the first part of the benediction, the first of the, of the three parts of it. And this all talks about God, who God is. So John, by the way, this is the first time the name John appears. His name appears several times throughout the book. In, the, in his gospel, the gospel of John, John never mentions his own name at all. 
he always speaks of himself in the third person. He speaks of himself as the one whom Jesus loved. He talks about himself, but he never mentions his name. But here in, in the Revelation, he, he's got his name right up there, right at the beginning. It's, uh, it's John, and he mentions his name several times throughout the book. And, and the next time, we'll talk about next week in verse 9, he says, I, John. And it's almost like he's overwhelmed that, that the revelation is coming to him, that God has given him the vision, that he has the privilege of writing this down for us. It's almost like he can't even believe it. He can't even believe that he, that this is, it's like he has to pinch himself. Is this really me? Is this really real? But he, he puts his name to it. He attaches his name, John. And he's writing to the seven churches. So he's writing to us, the church age, specifically the seven churches in the, the Roman province of Asia and what is now uh, Turkey, Asia Minor. He says, grace to you and peace from him. So it starts out with just a standard greeting, grace and peace. But look at how he describes God now. From him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before the throne, and from Jesus Christ. So I think that, that seven spirits part sounds kind of weird, doesn't he? What's he talking about? Seven spirits before the throne. But, but I think it's really pretty simple that he's, he's just talking about the Trinity. John is, is the most Trinitarian author in all of the Bible. I think his gospel, the gospel of John, is the most Trinitarian book in all of the Bible. He very clearly describes Jesus and his relationship with God the Father and his relationship with the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's very clearly described in the writings of John. And, and I think this is just a kind of a, a different way, kind of a strange way, but his way of describing the Holy Trinity. God the Father who is and was and is to come. God the Holy Spirit, who is the seven spirits who are before the throne. And God, Jesus Christ, God the Son. He's the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth. So where does he get that uh, seven spirits? It could be from, uh, from the Old Testament. There's a couple of theories. Uh, this is Zechariah. Zechariah had this cool vision of seven lampstands with seven pipes of oil feeding the lampstands. And uh, he, he describes it as the spirit. He says, this is the word of the Lord is Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by my power, but by my spirit. So he had the vision of the two trees, which were Joshua and Zerubbabel. But then he had the seven lampstands flowing with oil and the seven lampstands flowing with oil. That is my spirit, says the Lord. So he had a sevenfold lampstand in the Old Testament that clearly says it is the spirit of God. You also have a verse in Isaiah 11. It talks about Jesus. It says, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And then it describes the spirit that shall come upon Jesus. And, it, and it's, if you count, there's seven, seven different ways that the spirit is described. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. A sevenfold description of the spirit and that could be what, again, what John is describing in Revelation. And he says the seven spirits before the throne. But I think he's, it's just his way of describing the Trinity. Now let's move on to the, to the second part. The first part is God, who God is. He is the one who was and is and is to come. The seven spirits on the throne is the Holy Spirit. Jesus, the faithful one, the true one, the King of Kings. Uh, he's the, the third member of the, the Trinity. So you have the three members of the Trinity, our triune God, who God is. The second part is what Christ has done for us. To him, Jesus, who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. He's made us kings and priests 
to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The benediction is so wonderful that he just comes up with an amen right there. Amen means truly, uh, uh, verily, truly, I say to you, amen. If you agree, if you like it, if you think it's true, you say amen, because that's what it means. And uh, this describes Jesus, it describes his saving work, the salvation that he has purchased for us. He has washed us in his own blood. He was the sacrifice for our sins. He died upon the cross, shedding his blood in our place for our sins so that we might be saved. And having saved us, he made us kings and priests to his God and Father. I mean, just a wonderful description of the blessings of salvation. Everybody who knows Christ as Savior has basks in the glory of this salvation that is described here. And we bask in the glory of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the description of our salvation. That salvation is provided to all, to all who will, all who will come, all who will believe. The salvation is available to all through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So the first part of the, the benediction is God, the triune God, who God is. The, the second part is what Christ has done for us, our salvation. Let's look at the third part. The third part is in verse 7 and 8. Behold, he's coming. It's looking to the future of what Christ will do, what Jesus will do in the future. He will come again. He says, Behold, he is coming with clouds. Every eye will see him, even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. And now for the conclusion of our message. I think uh, Satan did not want us to finish our message on Revelation, but we're going to finish without him anyway. We're talking about the, the third part of the divine benediction. The, the third part of the, the divine benediction is all about the coming of Christ, what he will do in the future. He will come in the clouds. Every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. This is kind of a quote of the Old Testament book of Zechariah, the prophet, it says, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierce. So he's talking about the Jews, and they will see the returning Christ as king, and they will mourn him because they rejected him for so long. They will mourn the fact that they did not recognize their Messiah the first time he came. But the second time he comes in glory, uh, everybody will recognize him as king of kings, and they will grieve that it took so long for them to, to receive him. So again, this is a quote from the Old Testament, and so much of, of Revelation is connected to the Old Testament. You must have a, a fundamental knowledge of the Old Testament in order to understand the book of Revelation. I didn't do the, the math, but some people have counted up. Um, there's less than 500 verses in the whole book of Revelation, but 278 by some counts, 278 verses that have uh, a connection, either direct quote from the Old Testament or an indirect reference to the Old Testament. Over half of the book is connected to the Old Testament. So uh, we'll be doing a lot of back and forth from the Old Testament to the book of Revelation. But this is the, the final part of the threefold benediction. The first part is all about the nature of God, who he is, the triune God. The second part is about our salvation, what Christ has done for us to save us. The third part is about what will Christ do in the future. He will come again. So these are the, the three parts of the, the introduction to the revelation. 
The book of Revelation gives us a divine revelation, a threefold revelation from God to Jesus to the angel and then to us. And there's a threefold divine blessing. Blessed is the one who reads, those who hear, and those who keep. And then that threefold divine benediction, who God is, the triune God, what Christ has done for us in salvation, and what Christ will do for us. He will come again. I'm looking forward to the weeks left. Let's close with prayer.